Broadcasting from the Stolen Droids Hangout, it's the Stolen Droids Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stolen Droids Podcast. I'm Zoner. I'm Zoo. And man, is it late on a Saturday night. It is late. It's almost early on a Sunday morning. Yeah, we're a little bit uh, late recording this. Uh, we had some scheduling conflicts. Uh, I had a uh, scout camp trip and you had... Uh, some family things, and you're traveling back out of town coming here soon. I'm traveling out of the country in like eight hours. You say so. that, but you're going to Canada. It's just like the U.S. light. It, it's it's U.S. north. Yeah. Uh, when I went up there uh, to the Toronto area, I found that it really is America light. Yeah, I'll be in. Um, I'll be flying into Calgary and then driving about three hours to somewhere that it's difficult to get an airplane to. Especially at this time of year. And I guess they just had a massive snowstorm, so I'm really hoping the roads are clear. We're, it's going to be like an episode of Northern Exposure. Probably. Yeah, there's going to be a moose walking through town. and I should be so lucky. <laughs> I should be so lucky. Well, hey, we are brought to you by our friends over at TrekRadio.net, CryptonRadio.com, Stitcher.com, Radio KSCR, and Geek Factor Radio. And by all of our friends over at Patreon.com slash Droids, who are producers in their own right. Pretty awesome guys. Yes. And gals and people. Yes. We, we we have both and maybe some of all. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Hey, um in case you haven't caught it, if you only subscribe to this podcast, you probably didn't know. But a new episode of Generic Geek Podcast actually just launched. I say launched like it's a new series. It's not. It's just a new episode. It just dropped. How's that? Yeah, just we we dropped it uh, last Wednesday. I uh, talked about dating in the geek world with uh, a couple cosplayers and our friend Christy Porter, who's a television producer and quite the impressive geek in her own right. She is awesome. I, I remember when we first had her on our episode, uh, there was like four of us. It was right before we uh, recorded Super Bad Pimpalicious. You remember uh, that episode? Wasn't that Super Bad Pimpalicious, or was that that may have been? Was that a different episode or that same a, episode? That was a different episode. But it and, all took uh, place the same evening. Yeah, it, it all took place the same evening in person. And I thought, you know, I think she might be a little geeky. Uh, she's wearing a Time Turner necklace. Yeah. And that was about as much indication as we had at the time. And turns out she's pretty freaking hardcore, much more than we are. Like She makes us look like posers. <laughs> no, we're just, we're just different geeks. We're, Indeed. We're differently geeked. I dare say that may be a slightly adult-themed uh, episode. It might be. Um, we tried to still keep it family-friendly, but, you know, it's it happens. Things things sometimes get said. Yeah, indeed, but indeed. I, I'd say probably PG-13, but if you're like eight years old and trying to learn how to date in the geek community, what are you doing trying to learn how to date in the geek community? Right, right. This is not for you. Dragon's beef here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So just, you know, go play with your Hot Wheels or whatever and wait, I don't know, 10 years and, and then come back and listen. Indeed. But we are dropping another, and I'll, I'll give a pimp for this later, but we are dropping another episode of Generic Geek this week as well. Ooh. It's like we're actually doing stuff now. It's amazing. It's straight up amazing. Well, it helps now. We actually have a new host on that show. We do. Tracy, he he joined the joined the crew and he's... He's great. He's a great guy. If you if you haven't listened to Generic Geek in a while, give it a listen. Um, he brings a fun dynamic to it. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, let's get right into it. We don't have any feedback still. Rough? Is everything okay? Do we need to send help? Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, just, just saying. Um, our first one comes to us from the world of Apple. Because why not? <laughs> I have a feeling this episode is going to be bouncing all over the place a little bit. It is. We actually have a ton of headlines this week, and there is no common thread amongst any of them. Yeah. Well, with the exception of uh, some cryptocurrency viruses. We'll get into that. Um, but Apple actually had some code stolen from the new iOS. What is this? What was that? I was Tauntaun. You know, it, it's funny because you figure you're not going to be getting any messages at 11.50 p.m. Yet here I am getting messages at 11.50 p.m. Yeah. So, apologies. Okay, so leaked iPhone. Leaked iPhone source code, actually. Um, this uh, This is boot code from 
iOS 9. Now, we're not on iOS 9 anymore. iOS 9, this code was leaked in 2015. It was just suddenly made publicly available. Um, what are we on now, 11? I think 11. Yeah. Uh, but this has been put on GitHub, which is kind of surprising. Uh, the boot code, if you can access that, you pretty much can screw over an entire phone very quickly. And it was all just put online. Now, Apple has said that there's no worry about it. It's already so obsolete. It doesn't really matter. It's not a huge security concern. Which I find kind of funny because in years past, Apple has actually relied on their obscurity for security. And here they are saying it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Well, you know, I would think this would still be a big concern because unless they've completely changed the way they develop things and completely scrapped all of their existing code from iOS 9 people can still gain a lot of information from this. They can understand how their code is written. They can understand how the developers are trying to do things and accomplish things. Right. Well, I think what they're trying to say, and they say this in a statement, that there are other security checks in place. It isn't just code. There's biometrics. There's hardware. But what I think they're not taking into account is that hackers know that. It's like I, I find it very funny when technology companies underestimate the resourcefulness of software crackers and hackers. It's just weird to me. It's like back in the day when they were looking at, is it going to be HD DVD or is it going to be Blu-ray? Oh, we're going to go Blu-ray because it's a much more encrypted platform. It's very hard for people to crack. You're right. It only took 36 hours. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, I... And Apple seems to be very, very uh, guilty of that. Now, they could be absolutely right. It could be so old that anyone who's updated to iOS 11, uh, simply it doesn't work. But what about devices still running iOS 9? Right. That That's taking into – that's completely missing the fact that not everyone buys the newest, latest, greatest iPhone. I, I know that they'd prefer to not believe those people are out there, but they are out there. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, is this just a sign of Apple's hubris? They think they're better than the hackers. They think they're better than the users. They think, you know, our code, you know, oh, well, we we change it with every build to make your phone obscure. Is this just their ego coming into play here and how they're handling this? Because it seems to me that it is. I think maybe you and I might be a little quick to uh, assign um, the idea of them being malicious or evil to it. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm thinking that they're just they're coming across as arrogant to me. I worry that this is all PR. I think that they know that this is actually a threat, but between how we see them advertise technology, how we see them address concerns. And then even the ad that we talked about last week, you know, what's a computer. They don't seem to want to educate their user base. Well, if they educate their user base, they're all going to jump to Android and windows because they're going to realize they can't do half of what they want to on their device. I think that is, yeah, I think that is actually their fear, but they are much happier to try and convince people our systems are magical. Look, they, your phone can talk to your watch, can talk to your uh, MacBook, can talk to your iPad, and everything transfers between them because how does that – what, what compression algorithm does it use? What transfer protocol does it use? What authentication does it use? No, don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. It just works. Yeah, that, that's true. It's all magic. It, it just works automagically. That's their phrase, not mine. Yeah. And what about the security concern? Oh, it's obsolete. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, Gotta love Apple. It all feels very much like Wizard of Oz kind of thing here. You know, please, please don't look at the person behind the curtain. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in fact, the only time I have seen them completely transparent about any security threat was about um, Spectre and... Oh, jeez. Meltdown. Thank you. It's been really late. I slept on the ground in the freezing cold last night. I'm out of it. But yeah, <laughs> but even then it was, it wasn't their fault. So they could say, yes, every single iOS device is affected. Every single Mac OS device is affected. Well, they could say every single device 
is affected, period. Not They don't even need to qualify it with every one of our devices. And maybe that's why they were so quick to come out and say, yeah, this is a problem. Because it doesn't make them look bad if everybody looks bad. Yeah, yeah. So, But uh, for the most part, I find that in general, Apple tries to bill things as magically working off unicorn tiers and whatnot. When we real, when we all really know that it's Chinese tears. I whoa, and the souls of lost orphans. Yes. Uh, okay, so <laughs> speaking of owning your soul, right now, if you want to buy an iOS device, you have two options: you can pay cash, or you can put it on your credit card. They don't do the contract financing like everyone else does and has they, always done? They they can. I mean, if you buy it through your mobile carrier. I'm, I'm talking about if you buy it from Apple. Oh, okay. You know? Isn't... Okay, never mind. That, that's not a huge news flash. I mean, I'm not really surprising anyone with this. It's kind of, you know, it's that way with any device. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't that how it is with, like, everything? You yeah. either have money to pay for it now or you don't and you put it on credit. Well, they want to change that, or they want to give you a third option, I should say. Goldman Sachs, the retail chain, is in talks with Apple to provide financing for iPhones and other iOS devices. I hate this idea, and I can't, I I feel I'm not going to do justice to this. I'm probably going to flub this. Their reasoning is, the, the way they're pitching it is, is that, why bother putting your device on a high interest rate credit card when we can finance you? With a high interest rate loan. Right. And that's where I'm going. Retail cards, retail credit is always higher interest rate. Always. Every time without fail. Yeah. I mean, we're we're talking like 20%, 30% up. I'm just seeing this going really south for a lot of consumers. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see this as not ending well for people because everybody's – I mean, we already know how Apple people are. They've got to have the latest device. If they don't have the latest device, they're falling behind and they're not cool anymore. And then they won't be invited out to sushi and, and coffee with all their friends uh, as they work on their novels. Right, or at the new art gallery. Yeah. It's just opening up. And, and so I see a lot of people wanting to take advantage of this. Because maybe their credit cards are already maxed out on all that avocado toast that these millennials apparently love so much. And so then they get another high interest loan. Um, yeah, I don't I don't like this. I mean, I, I think it's brilliant on Apple's part. I think it's well, brilliant on Goldman Sachs' part because, hey, I, people are going to buy it. Let's get their money for it. Well, and – okay. Now, I say this recognizing – that I'm privileged in many ways, okay? Um, I'm solid middle class. I have a good-paying job, uh, one that is uh, good enough that I'm able to support this podcasting habit I have, right? Uh, I have a flagship phone from 2017. I have a, uh, a wearable device on my wrist, okay? I, I recognize these things. They're expensive things. They should be. I'm wearing a freaking miniaturized computer on both my wrist and in my pocket with the computing power that wouldn't that would have rivaled even the best supercomputer from 10 years ago. Okay? Yep. I can pay for those things. I was at the store earlier today and the checker there who's making nearly minimum wage was also wearing an Apple Watch. Not to sound elitist, not to sound classist. And I know this isn't a good business model for anyone, not just for Apple. But maybe your devices aren't approachable by everyone. Maybe you should stop expecting everyone to own two or three of your devices. Because honestly, they may be priced outside of the range of most everyone. And simply opening up new credit options isn't solving that base problem. It's actually creating more problems down the line. True. We saw this 
Um, if for our U.S. listeners, we saw this with the housing market a few years ago. You know, just because you have more credit options to get into the house you can't afford doesn't mean you can suddenly afford it. Yeah, that that is a good point. If you're only making two thousand dollars a month and you're trying to buy a house that's going to cost you fifteen hundred a month, you're not going to have a lot of money for I don't know lights, food, gas, clothing, and certainly not enough for a seven hundred dollar watch. True. You know, I and again, I, I realize I'm where I'm coming from, but at the same time, I can recognize that if I needed to. I didn't need this watch. And if I needed to save even more money, I didn't need this particular phone. True. And if I really want to, I don't have to replace this phone next year or the year after. I can make it last. I, I see this option. I mean, you're right. It's business brilliance on the part of Goldman Sachs and Apple if they decide to move forward with them. But I don't see that really helping us as a society, as it were. No. What it, would be more helpful would be taking everything learned from their iOS devices, simplifying it, paring it down, making it more accessible. You know how much money they could make by making a, remember how Nokia is coming out with a kind of the retro version of the old Nokia phone. Oh yeah. I've got two of them in my house. Yeah. If Apple made a version like that, taking what they had learned that ties into the iCloud ecosystem that ties into everything else, well, then they like come fe- out with like f- the they had the 5C which yeah. which was their budget iPhone, but it really was just crap. The C stood right. for crap. Yeah, I I'm not talking about taking an existing iPhone and and dumbing it down. I'm saying making something else entirely that's much more affordable and accessible. It makes sense cuz you're going to open yourself up to a new market. And instead what they're doing is they're just offering financing options now. Yeah, I, I don't mean to come down on Apple or Apple users for this. I just don't see this as a very healthy thing. No, I, I'm with you. You know, we have so much consumer debt in our country, but we're just kind of taking after our government and doing what our government's doing. And with that, we're going to move on to the next headline. <laughs> Speaking of health, uh, in kind of a funny roundabout way, the Apple Watch may be able to diagnose and predict diabetes. Does or it diabetes. Work, does it work on anybody who's not white? <laughs> that is the question. Uh, so it's not actually detecting diabetes per se. Um, it's detecting other things that indicate that you might have diabetes. So possible symptoms. Right. Um, it's not perfect. But if we're being honest, it wasn't built to be. But it's taking in things like because it can actually see if you have an abnormal heart rhythm. It can see if you have sleep apnea. It can see if you have hypertension. And, oh, by the way, those three things are really kind of major symptoms of either being diabetic or pre-diabetic. Yeah. Now, the only way to be 100% sure is with a blood glucose test, which obviously it can't do. And that's... Those three items themselves aren't a 100% surefire way to tell. For instance, I have all three of those things, and I've been tested many times. I am not diabetic or pre-diabetic. So it's not perfect. But again, and I have to stress this, they never claimed it would be. They didn't build it for this. It's just kind of an interesting byproduct of all the other sensor data that it's pulling together. Which is really kind of cool. Right. That is cool. You know, I, I would think with stuff like this that Apple Watch and, and, um, I mean, Fitbits, things like that, that these, these devices can do now for your overall health and well-being. I'm surprised that you can't like use your HSA to pay for them and that more insurance companies aren't giving discounts or, I mean, we, we've talked about some insurance companies that even provide them. I would think that more companies would want to get on that bandwagon because it could save them a lot of money down the road. Mm-hmm. Speaking of wearables, let's jump ahead here. I'm going to do some on-air editing. Um, Intel, turns out, has been working on their own wearable glasses, their own smart glasses. And they don't look crappy. Not only do they not work crappy, they or look crappy, they actually work in a completely different way 
than what we've seen before. It uses a uh, like slightly lower power than a class one laser to write the information in on your eye, on your retina. So you see this perfectly in focus bit of information in your lower quadrant of vision and can just like flick things back and forth to acknowledge or clear notifications. There's no camera. It's not taking in any information. It's merely providing another way for you to see your information. See, that freaks me out a little bit. How so? I, I don't know that I want lasers on my eye. I, I've had lasers on my eye and I went blind because of it. And then, of course, I got my vision back because that was the whole purpose of the laser on my eye. But I don't know that I want lasers in my eyes. I want lasers coming out of my eyes. That would be cool. I could go for that. Yeah. It looks really cool, actually. There's a video on it from The Verge here. Um, right now, there's no major plans for it. It's simply kind of a test bed that they're working with. And kind of a proof of concept. What's funny is that they keep talking about how you can't even tell, except for the fact that in the video even, you can kind of tell. If the uh, the reporter's looking at the camera, you can kind of see the uh, the image. You can't see what it says or anything, but you can see there's something there. So it's not perfect yet, but this could be coming uh, sooner than later. Yeah, I think that something like this is a... If people can get past the whole laser in their eye thing, uh, is more likely to catch on than like Google Glasses Agreed. because it doesn't have the camera, and it's definitely more likely to catch on than the Snap Glasses because those are just abysmal. And they're not selling now as it is. Yeah. Um, I would hope to see something like this become much more commonplace, but I really also hope to see Hololens take off. So I'm kind of on the fence about which way I'd rather go. I see. I'm okay just looking at my phone. I, I don't need I, – I spent $5,000 to get rid of glasses. I don't need to wear them just because I can. Okay. I can see that. So, yeah, I hated wearing glasses. So I, I'm, okay, I'm okay not wearing them anymore. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, hey, in Samsung news, we have on credible um, eyewitness accounts – that Samsung is releasing a foldable foldable phone this year. And we've talked about this for a while. That but it's always just been rumors. Right. But now we're not really sure on which way it's going to be foldable. We have a an article here from Droid Life with a render and then a supposed patent drawing. If it looks like the render, I'm buying the crap out of this phone. It looks pretty sweet based on this, but I mean, it's it looks like a smartphone, but it's got a hinge in the middle. Yeah, it opens up like many phone cases you see, like those uh, phone cases that kind of double as a wallet. Yeah, right. It opens up and it becomes kind of a tablet, and not a huge one, one just big enough that if I wanted to, uh, if I'm like in an airport terminal and I don't want to watch Netflix while I'm waiting for my flight, fold it open and boom, I have a larger screen. Yeah. If I'm waiting for Hamilton tickets to go on sale and they and I'm just sitting there in queue as I was Friday for five hours, no, I didn't get them. Unsuccessfully. It would be so much nicer to be able to browse with a full screen like that. That's really cool. However, then if you scroll down and it shows the patent drawing, it immediately, it immediately becomes less cool. <laughs> Still, though, I mean, that's pretty cool. You've got like, I mean... Picture your S8 being able to fold that in half and stick it in your pocket. I, it's, it's a lot smaller. It's half as big. Yeah, but I could get away with that because I have a wristwatch that's connected to my phone. So when I get a new notification or something, I can just look at my watch. For everyone else, they do it by just pulling out their phone and quickly looking at the screen. Yep. Now imagine having to unfold that first. I know. That sounds like just such a weird thing to nitpick about. And yeah, 20 years ago, that's exactly how we used the phone. Not 20 even. Years ago, 20 years ago, we didn't use phones for everything we use phones for now. True. That's true. So it's not quite the same. Furthermore, uh, the way they have it folded, it's kind of like a clamshell, and the screen covers the entire inner part of the clamshell. 
I dislike this because if you're playing a game or if you're doing something where you need to touch the full screen, having to run your hand over that hinge is a little bit weird. When it's the tablet idea, if you just put it into tablet mode to consume media, you're not using the full screen for touch capabilities. And when it's folded, you still have the normal smartphone rectangle, as it were. I, I don't know. We sh don't know when we're going to see this. Um, right now, the reports are saying sometime this year we will see a bendable phone or a foldable phone. I really hope it's like the first render. Yeah, well, and maybe that's going to be the tablet version. Maybe they're doing multiple versions. Who knows? But yeah, they're they're saying probably um, by November. So I I'm betting we don't see them this year. I yeah. bet it gets delayed. Yeah. Man, I'd put that on my Goldman Sachs credit so fast. Oh, jeez. That <laughs> that is that is worthy of using your Goldman Sachs credit. Like I have Goldman Sachs credit. I don't. But you could. That's the I thing. Could. You could. Mm -hmm. uh, let's stick with some of the uh, Google news here. Um, where did that go? Oh, here it is. So, wow, I just lost it. I the, completely lost it. The Chromia or the... Um... No, no, no. Here it is. Sorry, listener. I apologize. We're just making it up as we go. We don't know what we're doing. So... Google had announced the Pixel 2, right? Their new phone. I say new, but it's been out for a little while. And then after it launched, they turned on an additional image processing chipset in the phone that had existed the entire time, but it simply wasn't active. They hadn't even really advertised it. But suddenly it turned on. Okay, and it's called the Visual Core System. It's supposed to work with better HDR, high dynamic range, uh, better photo processing, and they're starting to roll that technology out to other things, so like Snapchat and WhatsApp and Instagram, because they've identified that, I mean, smartly so, not many people take pictures with the camera app just because. If you use Snapchat, you don't take a picture or a video with your camera and then open up the app and then import the picture or the video from your camera app over to, to Snapchat. No. That, why, why would you? That makes no sense. You just open Snapchat and you use the camera within Snapchat. Same with Instagram, same with Pinterest, same with WhatsApp, all the different ones. I think I'm doing it wrong then. Maybe it's because I take a picture and then 20 minutes later think, oh, I could post that on Instagram. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so what they're going to do here is they're going to start opening up the visual core programming to other apps so other apps can make use of it as well. Nice. That's kind of cool. Um, they're also planning on bringing it to other camera apps. So other phones that use other camera apps can use it even without the processor. It'll just take a slightly more horsepower to do. That's kind of cool. That is cool. Uh, in other Pixel news, in less fun Pixel news, the original Pixel had problems. Like, remember the microphone not working? Uh-huh. Um, well... Evidently, that's leading to a class action lawsuit. The class action lawsuit states that they knew that Google knew there was an issue or a possibility of an issue, and they sold it as a premium flagship smartphone anyway. Um, hasn't Apple done that? Yeah. Hasn't most, pretty most much done everyone it. done that? Yeah, and that's kind of like... What are you hoping to get from this? Because when, whenever I hear class action lawsuit, nine times out of ten, the only one who actually gets any money out of it is the lawyers. Yeah. But you feel good because you fought the man and won. I guess, sure. Okay. Yeah, what they'll end up doing is they'll end up with like a $25... Google Play Store credit and then maybe throw in like a Google Home Mini or something that's going to cost them like pennies on the dollar. And the lawyer will walk away with like $8.7 billion in fees and it'll happen again the next time. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's good. All you original Pixel owners, good job with that. 
yeah. good luck. Cool. I enjoy guess. your enjoy your um, token winnings there. Yeah, yeah, that'll um, that'll be good, I guess. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is kind of cool. We had talked very briefly previously about Windows 10 S, okay? Kind of the stripped-down version of Windows 10. It was going to run on lower-power laptops and Chromebook-esque kind of machines. Uh, and it was only meant to run apps out of the Windows Store, so it was kind of a more controlled, protected ecosystem. Uh, they were talking about bringing Chrome over to it and iTunes and everything else until Chrome decided to get lippy with them. Well, they've <laughs> killed it. Windows 10 S will no longer ship out, and they have no plans to change that. Instead, they're going to roll it out to other versions of Windows, so you can enable S mode. So it will basically be baked into all versions of Windows. Right. And you can use it or not. Right. Now, if you have, say, Windows 10 home and you enable s mode great if you later decide you don't want that and you want to upgrade licenses to pro you can still do that it's kind of ingenious actually it's not a bad way to make sure that everyone has those options for instance i have a uh, a dell venue 5055 tablet it runs windows 10 uh, but not well not well at all it runs an old atom processor it has like you know two gigs of ram and a 16-gig SSD built into it. It's really not meant for much, okay? I got it before my Surface. I got it for free, truth be told. Um, And it can barely run Windows 10. It's sluggish. It's laggy. it, It can't do much. But if I had this and I could just enable S mode and suddenly it strips out everything it doesn't need and only runs the apps from the Windows Store, that could breathe new life into it. Now, the interesting part about this, though, is Microsoft says there's going to be security and antivirus apps in S mode. So does that mean that the traditional companies will have either a an exemption except, exemption to the app-only thing, or are they going to be having to develop for the Microsoft Store? What they could possibly do is just put it into a wrapper. I mean, most Windows Store apps anyway are just web wrappers. True. They're just progressive web pages that have been put into a, a wrapper to, so the shell recognizes it as an app. Yeah, that is true. I mean, heck, that's what I did with our BlackBerry app years ago. It's not that hard. And a lot of the web is moving over to progressive websites anyway, or web apps. Yeah. That, yeah. Good point. And speaking of the web and web apps, a lot of good segues this episode. It, it's... Almost like we've been doing this for like seven years. I know, right? That makes me feel old. Um, so you may have noticed in recent months, depending on which browser you use, um, more and more websites are showing up with a little error that says this page is not secure. Yep. Right? It's getting kind of annoying, especially if you're the type who doesn't quite understand why that is or what it's saying. It can seem kind of panic-inducing. Well, expect to see it a lot more. Google's going to start flagging all websites that don't run in secure mode as unsecure. Which is basically HTTPS compared to HTTP. Right. So if you go to HTTPS colon slash slash Google.com, it's going to look a lot like HTTP colon slash slash Google.com. The difference is is that your um, traffic sent to the S version is encrypted. It's secured with an SSL document. uh, And the other one is not. And they're trying to get more and more people over to the secure side. So they're going to just start flagging everything and making sure everyone knows that if you're going without it, that you are potentially quite vulnerable. And just a heads up, StolenDroids.com does do HTTPS. Do we really? We do. I didn't know that. I never go to the S one. I never do either, but it does work. So yeah, dear listener, you can you can still browse using Google Chrome and go to stolendroids.com and know that you are safe. It says that it's kind of secure. But let's face it, this is the internet. Are you really safe at all ever? No. 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 <laughs> no, you're not. In case no, you didn't no. hear any of Zook's nose. Oh, so sad. 
Very unsecure. At least I'm not insecure. Yeah. Hell. True. True. Um, and, and funny, funny, not funny news. Twitter was freaking out recently. Not like the Twitter sphere, like the actual company Twitter was freaking out. And that's because for the first time ever, they were profitable. Which that is, that is awesome. And you know, you listen to these financial people and they are like, they're beside themselves. They don't know how to report this. It's like, oh my gosh, Twitter posted a profit. Um, so we've often joked that Twitter can never seem to make money. And it's because, frankly, no one knows how to monetize it. Well, they figured it out. They slashed the company way down, uh, cut back on a lot of their spending. They fought as many spam bots as they could. They limited uh, the number of users they have by getting rid of those spam bots. And then they sold ads like crazy. Yep. And they have finally posted a profit. Their shares went up 30%. Um, they made it up to $35 per share. Uh, they're back down to around 30 I think, right now. Um, and they've actually posted a profit. Maybe Uber now, should talk to these guys. I don't think they're going to hold it. I'm not a financial analyst. Um, but one of the ways that they were able to really kind of push into this new space is by integrating a lot more video into Twitter. Yeah. You know, and you, you can see it. You can see people posting videos of their day or whatnot. But at the end of the day, to, to repeat myself here, Twitter's not a video service. But they're trying to be. I mean, they've signed deals with NFL and I mean, they're trying to broadcast live sports. And I, I think that's really kind of kind of taking them where they're where they're at now. Sure. I, I get that. And I respect that. But they're only pulling a profit because they're working their tails off to overhaul themselves to be something that they originally weren't. Meanwhile, there are other companies who were built to be those solutions, right? There were, there are sites that were built to be this. Yeah. That were making money out of the gate. Yeah. I, I just, I think that's a really big sign that, Twitter just wasn't built to make money. I, I'm just saying. I know it's kind of become the new de facto quick messaging app. Even though it's not, it's freaking Twitter. I know it's our political tool of choice now. You know, Twitter, I, I kind of have a, a love, love-hate relationship with Twitter. I'll, I'll get on it for a while, and it's... I, I enjoy it. It's really good for getting news and things. But then it just starts to irritate me. Not in the way Facebook irritates me. Um, but I just, I don't know. I There's just so much noise that I don't find a value. And it's not that I'm following people that are crap. It's that I keep seeing people retweet people that are crap. And it's something good to them. And so they're like, oh, well, I think this is good for everybody. But it's really not. It's really not. And so I don't know. Maybe I just need to go and, and have like a massive culling of my people that I follow on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I, I really I get frustrated with Twitter a lot. And then there's the whole everything is political right now and. Uh, that bleeds into Twitter so bad, and I just can't handle it. Right. Uh, you can see me moving headlines around here. I was actually looking at Twitter as I was talking about that, <laughs> thinking, "Man, this is this is a mess. I gotta I gotta do something." Right, right. Um, so let's talk about another social media site and one that you brought up, Facebook. They're talking about bringing out a downvote button. I understand where they're going with this. I think it's going to be a, a an abysmal, abysmal failure. Uh, here's the problem with this. Like an idiot with a microphone in Utah can tell the world what its main problem is and people will listen. But even if you don't agree with me, you know in your heart of hearts I'm right. Okay? And that is people don't go on Facebook to have logical, rational, nuanced conversation. 
if your grandma is constantly posting things that you find offensive or dumb or bad, then downvoting grandma is not what you went online for. Okay? The only way you're going to end up using the downvote button is if you are a troll and you are trolling sites that you just want to get a reaction from. Everyone else goes on to Facebook to hear about how right they are, to find people who are like them, either in good things or bad things. It's an echo chamber. Right. It's an echo chamber. No one goes on there to disagree with people unless they're trolls. You know, that is true because there are times where I'll see somebody and they post something that I think is blatantly wrong or misleading. And I'll think to myself, do I really want to correct them and contradict them knowing that it's just going to be a, a troll move, seen as a troll move, and end up in a Facebook argument of which nobody is going to walk away from unscathed? Or do I just want to let it roll off my back and move along? And I generally just move along. And the real problem is here is that they say that this is so, oh, we want to be able to uh, to flag inappropriate comments, but they're not going to use it that way. No. It, it, it's still an engagement. It's still a post-engagement. Yeah. And I, I guess what happens when you click the downvote button, you have three options. It can You can mark it as offensive, misleading, or off-topic. Which I'd like to point out you can do right now on every Facebook comment or post. However, people are going to use it as a dislike button. Because that's what people have been wanting for the last forever many years. Forever many. That's a good number. I like that. But, yeah, they they don't want... Mark Zuckerberg said in 2015, we didn't want to just build a dislike button because we don't want to turn Facebook into a forum where people are voting up or down on people's posts. Um, that's exactly what Reddit does. But the thing is, with Reddit... The upvote and the downvote isn't supposed to be, do you agree with it? It's supposed to be, does this provide something to the conversation? Is this valuable to the conversation and to the topic being discussed? People treat it like a, uh, like a like and a dislike button. People use everything like a like and dislike button. They do. People use their car horns as a dislike button. They do. And so I don't know why Facebook thinks that if they do it this way, Oh, well, it's not a dislike button. It's a downvote button. It's going to get used as a dislike button. Although it will be kind of nice if I see somebody posting blatantly wrong information. I can just downvote them and say it's misleading. But how many other people are going to do that just because they disagree? Right. How many people are going to do that because they don't like that person or, you know, whatever? But they're going to use that to filter out what people see. If you're getting downvoted on everything you post, nobody's going to see your stuff. At least that's how I'm interpreting this. That's how I'm taking it, too. It's just... And so you get that one a-hole that you work with that you don't like, and he downvotes everything you post. Nobody's going to see anything you ever post. I, I don't see this ending well it, it's just being tested right now in very limited scope but they're gonna bring it out at some point i'm i'm pretty confident of it uh, look people if you want to know go to go right now to your facebook feed and find the very first post on your wall and on the right side of it is three little dots if you click on that you can say give feedback on this post it's been there the entire time Using a button like this is going to be exactly like Zahner said. People are just going to use it as a dislike. It's just more another form of engagement. They're still making money off of it. They're still going to show it. Yeah. The, the give feedback on this post actually gives you a lot more options. You know, yeah. there, there's a lot more there. But there's not. So dumb. Oh, there is. I was going to say there's not the fake news option, kind of like misleading. But there is the false news option. Yep. Yep, yep. Um, in Google News, Nest is no longer going to be a standalone company. Nest uh, was purchased by Google a few years ago and then wrapped up as their own sub-company under Alphabet. They are doing away with that, and they're rolling it back into Google hardware. What does this mean in the long run? No clue. No idea. None whatsoever. 
you know, there's been some some stuff, some former Nest employees coming out saying Google really botched the integration with Nest. Oh, 100%. Yeah, that's without question. But what are they going to try and do and to fix that now that they're part of Google? And I don't really see them having any viable way to do it unless they do a complete about face with the company. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they, uh, what this is going to serve, what what purpose this is going to serve. Because, I mean, they've, yeah, I've Nest is integrated into Google Assistant. But what else are they hoping to do with it? Right. Unless it's just another way for them to pull sensor data from our home. Which, did they need to merge? Did they need no. to do a way to do that anyways? No. Unless it's just simply trying to balance the books, which is what it probably does boil down to. Could be. Yeah. This is a weird one. I don't know how to feel about this one. Best Buy is going to start pulling CDs. They're no longer going to sell CDs. Target is contemplating only giving paying money to publishing companies when they sell the CD instead of right now, which is to say that they buy the CDs from the publishing company and then they make money off of each CD sold. They'll just simply hold the CDs for the publishing company and only pay the publishing company when they sell a CD. On one hand, it makes all the sense in the world. They're trying to say, well, look, it's it's becoming very obsolete. There's no real point in us stocking them anymore. And that takes up a lot of retail space. It really does. I was in Walmart today. They have a lot of space dedicated to CDs. And I haven't bought a physical CD for years. Right. But on the flip side of this, if I may propose the following, how much faster will it accelerate the obsolescence of it if there's no place you can buy it? That's true. It's a chicken and the egg kind of thing. Now, that being said, I'm in the same boat. I found my old CD wallet from yesteryear in a box somewhere here in my house. I have like 120 CDs in there. Granted, it's all from my high school years. You know, if I, I want to listen to Real Big Fish or Boss Tones or Tori Amos, it's all in there. I think I got some Ace of Base that tells you exactly how white subor- suburban I am. Oh, we should have seen the sign on that one. Oh, geez. Wow. Yeah. Dude, no. <laughs> I could just picture you cruising down a 17-year-old Zook in a Honda Civic. You know, not even a, a nice Honda Civic, like a, a 15-year-old Honda Civic with Ace of Base just pumping out the windows. I'll have you know, it was an 87 Hyundai Excel hatchback. <laughs> And more often than not, I was listening to uh, Save Ferris or Spin Doctors. Wow. And Pocket Full of Kryptonite is still one of the best albums I own. It is a good album. I I will say that is a good album. That was when I was in high school, though, man. What were you doing listening to that? You're, like, way younger than me. Well, you know, I'm retro like that. Wow, look at you trying to be all hipster. Oh, I was listening to this guy back in the day when I was like seven. Yeah, just saying. Um, no, but So it makes sense that they'd stop selling this eventually. You know, this happens with all mediums. It really does. It does, I mean, Where yeah. can you go to find a VHS tape? But at the same time, it's weird. You know, I just I see it to- as evolution. I, it totally is. I, I really do. It's just, it makes sense to to not sell something that takes up a ton of space and nobody uses anymore. I, I don't even remember the last time I was in a store and saw somebody buying a CD. But at the same time, I have a lot of warm memories about when I first moved out on my own. I was in college. I didn't have a lot of money. But I wanted to keep expanding my music collection. I'd go to those secondhand CD stores. Oh, yeah. And I'd buy like, oh, hey, look, they have every album by Oingo Boingo ever for like two fifty a CD. I'll buy the entire set. Yeah. For no reason other than the fact I can. Well, and let's not forget Columbia House and BMG. Right. 15 you know, CDs I, for a penny. Um there was, it was just a different model of consuming music then that we've completely moved away from that I still struggle with, you know, because I'm still in that CD collecting mentality of, hey, look, I like Red Hot Chili Peppers. I want to own every album. 
Well, and, and I Pandora think, doesn't make that very easy. I'm going to say, I think that's part of the geek in you, though. Because as a geek, if we have one of something, we must have all of something. If, if, yeah, probably. If there's a series, like I have um, I have a King of Queens DVD set. I love that show. And I've got like the first six seasons. But I think I don't have the last couple seasons. And it really bothers me that I don't have the last couple seasons. I haven't watched them in years. But it bothers me that I don't have them because my set is not complete. It is incomplete and that is not acceptable as a geek to me. I'm the same way with SG-1, Stargate SG-1. I'm missing like season three and four, which admittedly are the crappiest seasons of the entire run. But it does bug me I don't have them. Yeah. But, I mean, again, this makes total sense. My laptop, my desktop, my tablet, none of them have a CD drive. Yeah. Yeah, my my desktop does, which I'm grateful for because I've needed it a few times. Uh, right now, if we want to watch a Blu-ray in the house, we have to throw it into my Xbox. Oh, really? Yeah, that's the only way we can watch it. None of the other devices in the house have an optical drive. Wow. Yeah, it's it's going away. And as somebody who, when I buy something, I want something tangible in return. I don't like that. But it is what it is. It, it is. And it, it especially sucks when you hear stories of Amazon, like taking away books off people's Kindles. And we've talked about that in the past. It's not unheard of. And, you know, then you have you have music people coming out and saying, oh, well, you know, you're not actually buying the music. You're just buying a license to listen to the music. And we can Until we turn off the service. And we can take it away at any time. Right, right. I, I don't like that. Huh. From that dis- disturbing headline into, uh, not disturbing, it just gives me quite the sense of mortality. Um, <laughs> Amazon is about to uh, launch its own delivery service to compete with uh, UPS and FedEx. Now, the funny thing about this is that they've already kind of have. They, they have a fleet of private delivery drivers that are employed by Amazon that drive around in their private cars. Think of like Uber for dropping off Amazon deliveries. Yeah, I have them hit my house all the time, and I feel bad because it's like this little like 90-pound girl who looks like she's maybe just fresh out of high school trying to deliver three fifty-pound bags of dog food to my house. See, and I feel bad because I always think that someone is stealing my package. <laughs> my, my video doorbell captures motion and it always captures it just a little bit too late like they just rush up to the door and they they drop it off Uh uh-huh and it captures them when they're about a foot from my door with the package and my gut reaction is that they're taking off with my stuff (laughs) well i sit there that's just because you have okay that's that's just your privilege though zook i mean right you and your your video doorbell i mean come on yeah, I know. Yellow privilege is strong <laughs> with me. I get it. That's awesome. Um, last headline. Oh, this is fun. Equifax sucks more than we even thought. Yeah, you know, I keep thinking something's got to something's got to come of this Equifax thing, and the government seems to just be letting it slide, except for Senator Elizabeth Warren. And I'm going to say this. I despise that woman on multiple levels. However, I do appreciate the fact that she is not letting Equifax off the hook here. No, she. the reason why you don't like her, the reason why many people don't like her, uh, is also the reason why sometimes she's the woman for the job. Uh, she gets something in her teeth she does not let go. She will beat that horse until it's glue, if needs be. And right now, she has her sights set on Equifax. Um we don't have exactly the full information, but right now they said that you remember back in September, 145 and a half million people, um, their social security numbers, their names, birth dates, addresses, some people's driver's license, credit card numbers, um, were exposed. However, they were forced to admit to a forensic investigation that, um, it could be a lot worse. And you think to yourself, well, what else would they have? 
Well, how about your business's tax identification number, your email address so they can access your online accounts, your phone numbers, the expiration dates, and the uh, the, S- the CCV or CVC or whatever they are called, the, the little three-digit numbers on the back of your credit cards, um, and the issuing dates for your driver's license. Yeah, that's bad. And I like how they say, you know, Equifax comes out and says, oh, well, we tried to be clear with people about this. We just didn't think that this stuff was really beneficial for them to know. But we let them know that they were compromised. Um, One, no, you didn't. We had to go to a website that was shady at best and apparently waive our right to sue you by just checking if we were breached. And I mean, they've just, they've handled this horribly over and over and over again. And this, even though they've gotten rid of like everybody that was involved, allegedly, um, they still can't seem to do anything right. Now you may be wondering, well, what difference does it make if they have my email address when they already have all that other information? And you know, you'd be forgiven for thinking that. Uh, but let's put it this way. The information that was initially admitted to being lost was enough for them to take your credit card and mess with it. Okay. Those last bits of information are enough for them to take over your life. Yep. Oh, and maybe your business, too. You know, the interesting thing about this, when this first happened, about it was about a month after uh, this actually happened, but before we found out about it, I started noticing I was getting a lot of calls, even though I'm on the Do Not Call registry. I was getting a lot of calls from numbers that were spoofed. Um, and I've looked into it. Basically, they're taking part of my phone number and spoofing it, and it's crazy how, how it's working. But um, I told my wife at the time, I said, I think somebody has my phone number, and they're using it for this stuff. I was getting, other people were getting phone calls from my number, and they said, call me up. I got a missed call from this. Well, I didn't call you. I don't even know who you are. And I told my wife at the time, I think somebody has my phone number and they're using it for for telemarketing calls. And now we find out that Equifax exposed that information as well. It's all making a lot of sense. It's all making a lot of sense. Yeah. Especially because my wife's card was stolen too. We had to deal with that. That was fun. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't noticed any. We we had uh, three unauthorized charges to iTunes, which anyone who knows me knows that that's hilarious. <laughs> that's awesome to iTunes. Well, all right, into our favorites this week. Mine, in honor of the Eagles winning the superb owl which we discussed briefly last week, uh, is from bad lip reading. They took all the previous season of the NFL and they turned it into a bad lip reading of the NFL, which is always funny. And it does make you wonder exactly what they're talking about on the sidelines. Yeah, it's quite funny. So check it out. Those, those bad lip readings are are entertaining. Uh, my favorite this week is similar uh, to my favorite last week in that it is another visual lecture by Arlen Schumer However, this one covers a hundred years of Jack Kirby. Now, for those who don't know, Jack Kirby is probably one of the greatest artists of all time, not just comic book artists, but of all time. He is the guy who created things like Fantastic Four, you know, basically the Marvel Universe as we know it, uh, with a few exceptions, although Stanley does get credit. And Arlen discusses that at, at length. Uh, in this, but he talks a lot about his artwork and stuff. It's a fascinating watch. I, I really enjoy it, but I, I like stuff like that. So I thought I'd bring it to your guys' attention as well. And also, we did have Arlen on Generic Geek Podcast last week. Uh, we recorded an episode. He will be joining us, um, and that, or he joined us, and that episode will be airing on Wednesday. Uh, Tuesday, you get it if you're a Patreon subscriber, though. Uh, so check that out. It was a really good conversation. Uh, he's a, he's a great guy. That guy knows so much more than I'll ever, ever know. Um, but yeah, so check, check out the Jack Kirby video though. It's, it's pretty cool. Very cool. All right. Well, that is our show this week. Let us know what you're thinking. Feedback at stolen droids.com or give us a call 801-917-GEEK. 
Uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Again, patreon.com slash stolen droids. Show us your love. Please. Seriously. Please. Uh, <laughs> until next time, cheers. Good day. This has been a Stolen Droids Media Production.